I just actually want to say from the outset, it's such an honor to be able to stand before you this morning and bring the word of your word. I feel so honored that um, that I could be a vessel of his presence. Like what an honor it is, guys, that we actually can worship him. And as Brad led us, like talking about the veil tearing and that we actually have access into the presence of God. Wow. When we read the Old Testament, it's like these the guys in the Old Testament like dreamed of having that kind of access and that relationship with God. Don't take it for granted. Don't take his word and his Holy Spirit and the the reality of us being able to enter into his presence for granted. So I just want to encourage you in that quickly. Um, yeah, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Mark chapter 4. And if you've been around the house of God for a while, you would know this passage of Scripture well. But just because we know a passage of Scripture well doesn't mean we can't learn something new from it again. There is always something new that the Lord wants to speak into our hearts through His Word. So I'm going to read about in my Bible, it's called the Sower's Seed from verse 1. And he began, this is Jesus, to teach by the seaside, and there were gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air, the birds came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprung up and increased and brought forth some 30, some 60, and some a hundredfold. We know this parable about a farmer that's sowing seed. I like this one. My background is agriculture, agriculture economics, so I like all the farming analogies. Sometimes a bit hard to relate to in the city. But in verse 14, so Jesus' disciples take Jesus aside afterwards and they're like, Jesus, we love your parables, but what does it mean? So mysterious. And they say, what's going on? And Jesus said in verse 14, guys, the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. What does that look like? And he explains this scripture to his disciples so that they can understand what's going on. So from verse 15, he said, These are them that are by the wayside, where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are them likewise, in which is sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. And afterwards, when afflictions and persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they're offended. Verse 18, and these are they which are sown among the thorns. They hear the word, and the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And these are them which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, 60, and some 100-fold. I remember being a teenager and listening to this parable and I was, I, I feel like it was almost like if you don't receive what is being preached, you know, your heart is the stony ground. Like our heart is a soil when the word is sown into our hearts and takes root. But I actually believe that if you're here this morning and you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, your heart is good soil. You're not stony ground. Your heart is the good soil. 
But the catch with good soil is that everything grows in it, right? If you have a healthy, like if you have a healthy bed of soil, not only will your carrots grow, but little weeds will grow as well. Everything grows in good soil if it's planted. So when he speaks about the the thorny the thorns that rise up and choke the word, I actually think that that is probably the most relatable to us in this day and age because the soil of our heart is constantly receiving seeds from the world that people speak into us. If the sower is sowing the word, if the word is the seed, whenever people speak into our lives, they're sowing seeds into our hearts. And if you have a healthy heart and your soil is good, whatever's being sown is going to take root and it's going to grow up. But if you've ever weeded before, you know that you've ever done any gardening, you know that you can't just weed once and done. <laughs> oh, how's your gardening going? Yeah, great. I, I weeded it like last autumn. <laughs> it's great. That's not actually how it works. There's a constant weeding that needs to happen. And that is the same for your veggie patch at home, and it's the same for your heart. There needs to be a constant weeding out of what's not actually supposed to be there. And some weeds look really pretty. If anyone's driven through outback New South Wales over the last couple of months, those tiny little purple flowers that at first glance you're like lavender, they're not, they're actually a weed, but they're really pretty. But the cattle can't eat them because it's poisonous. So some weeds look really nice. And isn't that just like the world? It looks really nice. No. Come on, guys. We want to know, we want to be sowing the seeds and tending the seeds of the word. Whose word? Mom and dad's word? Maybe, maybe not. Your friends at work? Maybe, maybe not. The TV, what people are saying on the news? Maybe not. Let's stick around in verse 19 for a little bit. And there are three th three things, three thorns that Jesus highlights. And I think that these are so pertinent to our generation. And if you're slightly older than me in this room and you're like, doesn't apply to me, you're in my generation for this, the purpose of this preach. Um, in verse 19, these are, sorry, in verse 18, and these are things that, these are which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, in verse 19, and the cares of this world. These are the three things that choke the word in your life. Number one, the cares of this world. Jesus said, sorry, in 1 Peter 5, 7, the word says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. If there are things in your life, if there's word coming into your life at the moment through the news, if you're watching the news, when you listen to that, those words are getting sown into your heart. And if that is growing up a thorn of care that is overtaking the word, you need to, I was to encourage you this morning, cast that care onto him. That's not for you to onboard. The cares of this world isn't something that you should be growing in the soil of your heart. Cast it onto him. Actively cast it onto him. When I have cares, like what helps me is that I actually write them down. Like I just get a piece of paper and I write like one, this, two, this. And then what I do is I find a scripture that directly relates to that. So I find out what God says about it. If you're really into like the um, political climate in either the United States or Australia, if you're really into that and you love following like the media and what's going on with politics, don't onboard the care of that. It's really good to be informed. Do not onboard the cares of that. And if you're wondering what the Bible says about politics, it talks about the importance of us praying for those in authority. Yeah. It talks about how when a righteous man is in leadership or as a king, that the people rejoice. Yeah. So if you're like, 
so mentally consumed by the political climate and what's going on, I would encourage you to pray that a righteous man is raised up in authority. And that if, you know, I don't think is going anywhere soon, but pray that he is righteous. We need to pray for him. If that's something, you know, some of you are like, oh, well, geez, I don't care, that's good, that's fine. I just wanted to speak into that. If that's something that is actually something that is coming into your heart all the time, do not let the care of that consume you, but cast the care upon the Lord and use that time to pray for our leaders. In Matthew 6, 25, Jesus also talks about not worrying about your life. And the cares of this world might not just be like what's coming through the media, but it might be things in your everyday life that are, you know, bothering your mind, things that you're thinking about. I'm going to quickly turn there and read a little bit to you guys from there. So in Matthew 6, verse 25, Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or your body, and what you'll put on. Is life not more than meat, and the body more than raiment or clothing? Yes, it's like we're Northern Beaches people, we're all about like hashtag healthy living, and holistic lifestyle, and working out, and looking very cool like me. Um, <laughs> but is life not more than that? Yeah. Just a little bit more than that? Yeah. When you sit down with your grandparents, do they talk about the food that they ate? Is it like, okay, this one time in like 1905, I went to this restaurant and the food was just amazing. And you're like, surely you've had some more significant things happen in your life than that. <laughs> Or like, is your granddad like, oh, but I had this belt buckle and it was just so cool. <laughs> and you're like, okay, we need to move on from there. <laughs> is life not more than what we eat and yeah. what we look like, what we're dressing like? Don't let the cares of this world be something that's rising up and choking the word. Come on, guys, eyes on Jesus. Yeah. Eyes on Jesus. Cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. He talks about, Jesus then talks about looking at the birds of the air. They're not worried about where their food's coming from. They're not like fluttering around being like, does anyone know we're going to get our next meal? Does anyone know what's, what's, what we're going to eat? They're just trusting. He's like, just they have no cares. Look at the flowers, how beautifully they're arrayed. Even Solomon in all his glory wasn't dressed in as much beauty and as much glorious flowers, which God designed. He's got you covered. Because in verse 33, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Right? The kingdom, let the word of God grow up in your heart. Let it take root in your heart. Cast aside the cares of food and clothing and housing and all the things that just grip us and we grapple with constantly with work and what the world tells us that we need to be concerned with just cast that aside eyes fixed on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith and let his word take root in your heart we're seeking first the kingdom can I say that this family is a family that seeks first the kingdom Amen. yeah yeah and his righteousness Come on, that's so good. And all the stuff, God's like, got you covered with all the stuff, guys. Like, do we trust him? He designed stars. Can we trust him with some of the things that the world is like, you need to be concerned about? No, we don't, actually. Jesus said, don't you know that I should be about my father's business? He said that to his mom. So sassy, Jesus. <laughs> mom, don't you know I will be about my father's business? Come on, let's take that up. All the girls are like, yeah. Don't you know? I don't care about that. We don't need to care about the things of this world. Don't you know we can be about our father's business? So that's the first thing is... The cares of this world is something that could be planted in your heart that we just need to remove and just pull that out, pull that weed out. Weeds come out really easily as well. Has anyone done gardening? Yeah, those roots don't go very deep. 
they're just easy, like especially when the soil has, is like it, it's like moist and like it's it's good healthy soil. Weeds just pull out really easily. It's such a a cool image. So don't think that like oh, but this garden is so deeply rooted in my heart. No, it's not. It's not. It looks thorny from the outside, and it chokes the word. But just pull it out. The roots don't go deep. The second thing that chokes the word is the deceitfulness of riches, not money. It doesn't say money. It says the deceitfulness of riches. I know a few of you might have been here last time I spoke and I talked a little bit about the rich young ruler and how Jesus said it's so hard for those that put money before God, money before the things of the kingdom. It's so hard for them to enter in because they're so distracted. And in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And I think that's really funny that it uses that word root because I think I feel like that directly relates back to this, the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus even talks about 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. A 100-fold return. Imagine if there was like a bank and they're like, oh, what's your interest rate? 100%. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, like, go invest there. That sounds pretty good. What can we even get now? Like, they're getting 3%, you're doing well. <laughs> but don't be so obsessed with money, the deceitfulness of riches, because it doesn't always return what it's promising. Money cries out to you from your wallet, from your bank account. Look at me. Give me your attention. Budget me. Think about me. Worry about me. That's what money says to you. When you open your account, you're like, oh, it's not as high as it should be. And it's like, I need to be higher. Keep me in here. When the Lord say, give it to someone else. <laughs> Go sow that. Go sow that seed. And your money's like, don't sow me. Keep me for yourself. It speaks out to you. But whose voice are you listening to? Voice of the Holy Spirit that's saying, go sow that. Go bless that person. Go sow into that ministry. Or are you listening to your money? Keep me. It's a deceitfulness. It's a lie. Money will lie to you about its purpose in your life. But we need to take hold of that and not let that deceitfulness, that love of money take root in our hearts. We need to just... Cast that care unto the Lord, for he, he cares for us. I don't think that the flowers and the birds are, are too concerned about money. Come on. The third thing is the lust of other things entering in. Or when this um, parable is told in the book of Luke, it actually says um, the pleasures of this world. And I feel like this third thing is kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure. Did you guys have those books when you were younger and it was like a choose-your-own-adventure book? And it was like, flip to chapter seven if you want to go down the dark alleyway or like flip to chapter three if you want to climb up to the treehouse. I feel like this one is whatever that is for you. Whatever the lust of this world looks like to you. Whatever the pleasures of this world looks like to you. That's something that is potentially taking root in your heart that needs to be weeded out because otherwise it's going to choke the word. I don't know about you guys, but I really want my time spent in the word to be fruitful. I really want the, the word that is spoken over me here in this house to bear much fruit. But if I'm so concerned about other things that I'm interested in, whether it be like cars or fashion or my Instagram following or whatever it is, like choose your own adventure, like replace this with whatever it is, whatever the lust of this world is that distracts you from the things of God. When you go to spend time in the word, what's ticking over in your mind? Is it clear? Is it clear? Can you hear the, the voice of the Lord clearly? Or are there things pinging around? In your mind, I always take a, um, a piece of paper and a pen with me when I get on my knees before the Lord because there are things that ping into my mind and I have to like write them down to like get rid of them. Otherwise, are you sitting on your knees like praying, but you're just like 
writing your to-do list for this coming week. And there's nothing wrong with to-do lists because some of you like run businesses and have a really busy family life or you need to plan tomorrow night's dinner because you're having people over. And that's okay. But if that's something that is bouncing around to the point where you're so distracted that you can't let the word take a deep root in your heart, then that's a distraction of this world that we just need to like, all right, that's just going to go on the list for now. And right now I'm going to spend time with the Lord. So these things choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And these are they which are sown into good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100-fold. I don't know about you guys, but I would have seen a 100-fold return of God's word in my life, in every single area of my life, in my health, in my relationships, my family, with my friends, in my workplace. I want to know what a hundredfold return looks like. Some of you are like, I'm going to be fine with 30. Great, you go with 30, 30 fold. That's still pretty good. You're like, if I gave you a dollar and you're like, I'll give you 30 dollars tomorrow if you just lend me a dollar, that's a fantastic deal. <laughs> fantastic. But a hundred's better. Yeah. This, I was like, Ellie's like, give me a dollar, I'll give you 30 tomorrow. I'm like, that's pretty good. <laughs> Riley's like, you give me your dollar and I'll give you 60 tomorrow. I'm like, oh, <laughs> and Lani's like, but if you give me a dollar, I'll give you a hundred tomorrow. Who am I going to choose? Who am I going to give my dollar to? Lani. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but really, guys, what are you investing in? What are your What are your words being invested in? The sower sows the word. What word is coming out of your mouth that you're sowing? Where are you sowing your words? Are you sowing into fear? Are you sowing into arguments? Where are you spending your time? Where's your heart going? Where is it? How does work get sown into our heart through our eyes, through our ears? What we see, what we hear, it goes in, it takes root. Are you weeding your heart? Because it actually this 30, 60, 100 fold kind of works with everything. If you sow into an area of your life, you're going to reap a harvest in that area. If you're sowing your time into your, into your workplace, you're probably going to receive a harvest in your workplace, which is great. But it's going to be so much more impactful if we're sowing God's word into that. Find out what God says about being a good worker. There's a, if there's something that you're concerned about or something that you're like, I don't think God's word says anything about this, come to me afterwards. We'll chat about it. I believe that there is a promise in the word for absolutely everything that we walk through in life. So good. A hundredfold. Um, actually, Isaac, Abraham's son, experienced this very thing. Isaac served the Lord. He was under that blessing of Abraham, the old covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. He was under that. And during a time of famine, if you want to read it in your own time, it's in Genesis chapter 26. There was a time of famine in the land, a drought, famine, no food available. And during that year, a time of famine, Isaac sowed and he reaped a hundredfold. Farmers in New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria, across Australia, do not reap a hundredfold on the seed they sow. They get, this year's going to be a bumper crop. Great. So good. We're coming into harvest season now on the east coast of Australia. But a hundredfold return on what he sowed, that's amazing. That's the blessing of the Lord in Isaac's life because he surrendered his himself. You can read the story of Isaac. And it's just so amazing that the way that he walked with the Lord. Yeah, he made a couple of mistakes. He did that weird thing that I, that Abraham kept doing and telling people that his wife was his sister. <laughs> Isaac did it as well. He's like, no, 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 she's my sister. And then they were like, so weird. <laughs> Isaac. He was the perfect. But 
the Lord blessed him a hundredfold return. So sow the word. Sow the word. The second thing that I want to just touch on is that just after Jesus explained this parable to his disciples in Mark chapter 5, we then see Jesus live this out in a few different areas. A few verses later, Jesus rebukes a storm. He actually speaks to a storm, which is amazing, and sees peace in that. And the disciples are like, wow, this is so amazing. In the next chapter, in chapter 5, he actually rebukes unclean spirits. There was a man that was filled with literally a legion of, of demons, and Jesus said, come out of the man, that unclean spirit. So Jesus didn't just preach on it, he lived it. He lived it. What does this hundredfold return look like when you're, when you're sowing the word? It looks like rebuking storms. When you're sowing the word, if the storm comes along, you actually are so, going to be so full of the word that you can rebuke that storm in Jesus' name. If you have an encounter with someone with an unclean spirit, with, with demons, Jesus says it. In the Great Commission, he's like, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. That's not some sort of like spooky, weird, oh, such a Halloween vibe. Um, yeah, that's, that's crazy from the occult. But what Jesus is saying that we can rebuke those in Jesus' name. And he showed the disciples how to do that. He didn't just talk a big talk. He was so filled with the word because he was the word. If you're still trying to wrap your mind around Jesus being the word made flesh, just meditate on John chapter 1 for a few days and it will just, like, it will, you'll get a revelation in your spirit. And later on in Mark chapter 5, Jairus, who was a leader in the synagogue, actually came to Jesus and said, my daughter's dying. My daughter's dying. And Jesus said, okay, we'll go with you. And you guys know this story. He's on his way to Jairus' house. The crowd's pressing in, and a woman with an issue of blood of 12 years comes and touches Jesus, and he says, who touched me? And he gets really quite caught up in the scene and this moment with the woman. And you can just imagine Jairus is like, Jesus, 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 Come on, come on. Like, yes, this is good. And I see that you're healing someone. But he's like, come on, come on, come on. And while he's waiting for Jesus and he's performing a miracle and there's a miracle in that woman's life, someone comes to him and says in verse 35 of Mark chapter 5, while Jesus spoke, there came a ru- from the ruler of the synagogue's house a set which said, your daughter is dead. Why do you trouble the master any further? Whoa. He's waiting for his miracle. In the waiting, Jairus knew Jesus could heal his daughter. He knew it. And sometimes we know that we can expect a miracle from God. But in the waiting, have you ever been disappointed? While you're waiting and you're like, I feel like I'm doing all the right things. I've like brought this to the Lord. I've like cast my care upon him and I've come to him with this and I'm ready for my miracle. And then you have this moment where someone's like, she's dead. Sometimes the waiting period is a long time. And sometimes you get bad news during the waiting period. But let's see what Jesus' response was. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. Jesus' response in that moment was faith. When the disappointment comes and you're still believing for the miracle, your response should be faith. Let's see what happens. And he he said to them, he suffered no man to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeing the turmoil, he said, and, they, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And Jesus came in and said to them, why do you make this much fuss and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. Didn't they know who Jesus was? 
And did Jairus choose to listen to those voices of laughing while he's standing in faith for his miracle, for his daughter's health, for his daughter's life? And there are voices laughing at the word of Jesus. Don't be surprised if the world laughs at the word of God. We shouldn't be so shocked that people would be so rude towards the word of God. They laughed at Jesus when he said she's only sleeping. When he spoke in faith, the response from the world was laughter. So Jesus put them all out. Come on. (laughs) He's just like, get out. (laughs) Ain't nobody got time for that. He actually removed, he removed the unbelief from the room. We need to do that. When you're believing for a miracle, when you have planted the seeds of faith, when you're sowing the word of God, remove the voices that laughed at you. Turn off the television. Turn your phone off. What other mediums that come through, just, just quieten those down. Go somewhere that is quiet. Jesus was like, Everybody out. And he took the father and mother of the child, and we knew that Peter, James, and John are with him, right? So there's six of them plus the little girl in the room, and they entered in when she was lying, and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto you, arise. And straight away she arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with great astonishment, and he charged them that no man should know and commanded that she be given something to eat. And wow, come on. How did Jesus know to remove those voices so that he could hear God's word clearly? Because he practiced it and he practiced it and he practiced it. There are so many times in the word where we know that Jesus went away from people and prayed. In Matthew 14, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when the evening came, he was alone there. In Mark, when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. In Luke, now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Jesus got quiet with the Father and he learned what his voice sounded like so that when there was a moment of chaos, He knew what to do. He knew to remove the voices so that he could hear the Father clearly. Jesus says in John chapter 8, he said that he only says what he hears the Father say. Only says what he hears the Father say. We need to get so comfortable with the voice of God that we start speaking only the word, that we start speaking what Jesus would say into a situation. You're like, but it's just just so much happening. Go go to a mountain. I don't actually think there's any mountains on the northern beaches, so just go somewhere quiet. Go in the middle of the night. Jesus prayed all night. When was the last time you stayed up all night and prayed. How can you expect to see the miraculous that Jesus performed when he told us these signs will follow those that believe, casting out demons, healing the sick? How can we expect to see those? Yes, we have the Holy Spirit's power inside of us. But are we cultivating that relationship with God that we hear his voice clearly? Spend time on the mountain praying. Uh, When you're 80, you're not going to look back in your life and be like, yeah, that was that one November in 2020 where I like didn't get enough sleep that one night because I was up all night praying. You're not going to, you're not going to regret the lost sleep. We're not going to regret the lost sleep of our lives if it's spent in times of prayer. Turn off the distractions of this world, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of this world, the pleasures of life, 
they're the things choking the word. If you're like, I feel like if you're genuinely like, I feel like the word's just not being as fruitful as it should be. Like I'm getting like a two-fold return, not a 30, 60, 100 fold return. Then just turn off the cares of this world. Jesus did it. Yes, I know Jesus didn't have an iPhone or the television, but I'm sure there was many opportunities for him to listen to what was being spoken around him. And I believe that this is such a good example when he raised this girl from the dead. In John chapter 14, he says, greater works will we do in his name. I don't know what gets better than raising someone from the dead. But I, but guess what? I haven't actually done that yet. I don't know about you guys. You guys might have raised a few people from the dead, but I haven't actually done that yet. But let's let's let that be something that we aim towards. Let's do. Let's think about. Hang on. What did Jesus do? How can we? How can we strive to do what Jesus did? What do we need to copy from Jesus's life? and put that into place in our lives so that we're actually stepping out and doing the works. So Peter, James, and John were in the room with Jesus, right? When he raised this little girl from the dead. In Acts chapter nine, after Jesus went away, Peter has an opportunity to copy what Jesus did. He has an opportunity to play out what he saw Jesus do in that room at Jairus' house. Jesus taught us, he taught his disciples how to pray. When he spoke to them about sowing the word, it wasn't just a nice parable, it was like something that Jesus expected them to live out in their lives. When Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him into that room, I believe he was. it was like a lesson. He's like, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. And so Peter does it. In Acts chapter 9, verse 36, now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, um, and her name was also Dorcas, and I don't know why people get multiple names in the Bible. For this woman was full of good works and arms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and she died. And when they had washed and laid her in an upper room, and Lydia was near to Joppa, and the disciples that heard that Peter was there, and they sent him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. They sent for Peter. They sent for Peter. Tabitha is dead. Let's get Peter to come. Peter will know what to do. Peter spent time with Jesus. Peter spent time with Jesus. Do you think that maybe after Jesus died and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter spent a little bit of time on mountains? Do you think that he got it and he was like, yeah, I can pray on that? Not like the Garden of Gethsemane where they all fell asleep praying. Do you think that they got it afterwards? I think they got it. I think they're like, oh, yeah. Prayer, time with the Father. Let's walk this out. So Peter came with them, and when he had come, he brought them into. They brought Peter into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping, and showing the coats and garments which Tabitha made while she was with them. They're all standing around weeping and wailing and mourning the death of their friend and being like, look what she made, look, this is what's left of her life. What did Peter do? In verse 40, but Peter put them all out. He'd seen Jesus do it. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He'd spent time in prayer. He knew what the word said. He knew what the voice of the Father sounded like. And he put out all the noise. He like sent a whole group of women outside. Get out. <laughs> I just feel like it would have been so funny to me. <laughs> and he kneeled down and prayed. 
And turning himself to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Come on, what a story. This wasn't just for Peter. We have the privilege of the word, knowing what Jesus did through his word. We see the, the life of Jesus through the Gospels, showing the example of how to live and walk by faith, how to sow the word. He told us how to. He tells us how. We can spend time in the word and time in communion with God, and we can see greater works lived out in our lives. Come on, guys, let's desire these things in us. Yes, a boat would be nice, but come on. Seeing everyone you know healed, set free, delivered. Oh, that's something. That's something that really excites me. That's something that should really just burn within us, that desire to walk the way Jesus walked. Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see my father do. Let's be people that hear what the father says and speak that into situations. Let's not have a really messy garden bed in our hearts. Let's get rid of the thorns and continue to weed them. It's not like, well, I got rid of all my thorns on the 1st of November 2020. No, it's a continual gardening. A continual gardening of our hearts, renewing our minds to his word. Renewing our minds to his word. Um, when I was younger, I just want to tell you like a, a short story. Um, a short story about my own walk of faith and not believing what other people say. So when I was young, I had I have two older brothers and they're fantastic. But it was a little bit unfair, I decided, when I was about five or six, that they had each other and I didn't have anyone on my team. And I would often go out into the backyard and try and play cricket with them. And obviously one of them's bowling and one of them's batting. And I said, can I please have a turn? You know, I want to have a, I want to bat. And they would say, okay, you can bat when you get someone out. Which sounds logical. Okay, when I get someone out. But they never hit the ball in my direction. <laughs> How am I supposed to get anybody out? It's not fair. And so like four hours would pass, which was probably honestly only 20 minutes. But in the mind of a five-year-old Abba, it was a really long time to be fielding in the other corner of the backyard. Get it to me. Get it to me. Can I have a turn? Can I have a turn? So I just, this, it's not fair. If anyone here has, you know, two siblings of the other gender, you're like, it's not fair because they had each other and it was them versus me. And that's how I felt. I have a six-year-old animal was like, they have each other. They had bunk beds in the room down the hall and I had like my nice room to myself. But I, you know, when you're five, you don't want the room to yourself. You want to be like the, the cool kids with the bunk beds and sharing the room and have someone on your team. And so I took this to my mum and told her that this isn't fair. They have each other, so I would like the younger sister. And I knew that kids came from your parents, so of course I'm going to ask my mum. <laughs> Completely logical. I know how this works. Mum, you're the one that brings them forth. I would like the younger sister, please. And my mum said that, well, actually, I don't think that the Lord's going to give us any more children, Emma. But you can pray and ask the Lord for maybe two little girls on the doorstep that the Lord would just deliver, which actually was prophetic from my mum because my uncle then ended up adopting two young girls from China. So that was prophetic. But I said, okay, well, I'm going to pray for a baby sister. And because I was raised in the household of faith, that didn't seem too difficult for me. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord for a baby sister because... I think a little sister is a good gift for a six-year-old. <laughs> and so I prayed, you can ask my mom, she'll testify every night for the next two years for a baby sister from the Lord. And I asked him, when I had the boys playing, they had their games and Hot Wheels and whatever else. And we always had to watch like 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on TV, and I never got to watch like Barbie Fantasia, but that's fine. <laughs> and so I was asking the Lord for a little sister, and I knew that He would give me a little sister. And two years passed, and by that time, I was like a full fledged tomboy, um, and my mum was pregnant. Praise the Lord, a miracle. She tells us she's pregnant. I, I knew, I knew it was my little sister. Faith of a child, guys. I knew it was my little sister. And what and so my parents weren't gonna find out if they were having a boy or a girl. I knew. Even if my mum came home and was like, now the doctor said that we're having a boy, I'd be like, well the doctor's wrong, so maybe he should get a checkup. This is my baby sister. And I knew, I just knew. Faith of a child. I just knew that was my baby sister. And the boys would like tease me so much. It's a boy, it's a boy, it's gonna be three best one. <laughs> I was so set in this. I was so convinced, I was fully persuaded that this unborn child that I literally couldn't see, I just knew she was my baby sister and I would talk to my mum's belly and be like, baby girl, I like my baby sister, I'm so ready to meet you, we're going to hang out with your best friend. <laughs> this is probably less embarrassing because my sister's not here um, tonight. But she came along and her name's Joy. And she's the biggest blessing in our family. Like, she's such a blessing. And the best part was mum and dad were like, wow, it's so easy, we have another one. So we got double bonus, because when Joy was of the age of, didn't want me to like hold her so tight all the time. Levi came along to get to hold him. <laughs> and it was girls, it was finally girls versus boys. You know, but the faith of a child. The faith of a child that was so relentlessly, it's a girl. It's a girl. I know it's a girl. There's no way that I could have actually known that she was a, that she was a girl, except the faith that I had because my parents had told me that the Lord gives good gifts to them. They taught me faith. And the parents that are in the room, the seeds of faith and the word that you're sowing into your children, you'll reap a harvest. We're still reaping the goodness of the harvest that is joy. You guys get to reap the harvest that is joy. She blesses us, which is so cool with her voice. But when we sow a, a lie into a child, that reaps a harvest of distrust. Um, I don't know if anyone was ever the, the person at a primary school that told people that Santa wasn't real. Um, it definitely wasn't me. I would never do anything like that. <laughs> but these kids that believe in Santa are so convinced, so convinced because their parents have told them, no, my mum told me that he's real. My mum told me that he's real. No, my dad said he's real. Come on, church, that should be us. No, my God said. No, my daddy said that this is the way that it is. No, my daddy told me that he loves me. No, my daddy sent Jesus to die for me. Stubbornness and the faith of a child in the word of God. What does your father in heaven say about you? Get rid of everything else and just stand on that. Be like, very stubborn eight-year-old Anna. It's a girl. God is good. His word said. His word said. His word said. If you don't know what it says, read it and find out. For exactly the situation you're believing for a miracle in. And when everything in your life looks peachy, then let's go raise the dead. Sort out your health and your healing and Pray for your family to be saved. Let's let's get in prayer. Let's get on your prayer mountain. Let's just cast all the, the cares of this world away. Take it out of your heart so that the word can take root and can grow up and we can reap that harvest. Reap that harvest of his faith, of faith-filled words that we're sowing. Let's start in this family. In this family, we speak to each other in faith. In this family, we encourage each other in the word, right? The sisterhood of encouraging each other, the brotherhood of encouraging each other. 
If your parents aren't faith-filled, find someone in this church to be your spiritual parents and ask them to pray for you. If there's something specific, I know that there are people in this church that would be overjoyed to partner with you in prayer for a miracle in your life, for breakthrough in your life. Let's do it. Let's be a people that my house shall be called a house of prayer. Greater works, guys. Let's get stubborn. Let's get stubborn in the faith. Let's get let's get into the word. Let's find out what it says about our lives. What do you want to see a harvest in? Get his word and start planting the seeds in your own heart. You're in charge of the seeds that go into your garden. You're in charge of pulling out the roots of the lies that are in your heart. I can't do it for you. You've got to garden your own hearts. I just want to quickly read the Great Commission at the end of um, the book of Mark that Jesus sent to his disciples. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In verse 17, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Who believes here? He's a believer. Believe. Believe the word. In my name, in the name of Jesus, we will cast out devils. We will speak with new tongues. They will they shall take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. If we said it in His Word, we believe it. That's what my daddy said. That's what he said. My mom told me. My dad told me. You can see, like, you guys will remember the playground at primary school, can't you? When someone was like, well, my mom told me that the tooth fairy actually gives $5. And you're like, well, actually, at my house, the tooth fairy only gives $1. That's what my mom told me. Let's be like that. Well, my, my dad told me that these are the signs that shall follow them that believe. And Peter knew it, and Peter saw him do it. What a privilege that Peter got to stand in that room. He's like, well, I saw Jesus do it, and he told me, greater work shall I do, and this is just what we do now. Just, just, just what we do. This is just what we do, guys. And they can laugh, but we just pop them out of the room. I'm so sorry, could you just leave, like, it's have a moment of peace? We just turn off the lies, sweet out the lies of our heart. Is that all right? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. I know time is. Ooh, time for a bit of worship. Can we worship our God who cannot lie? Yeah.